This podcast is brought to you by Ideate and Execute. Do you want to drive innovation in your organization, futurize your enterprise, ideate massively valuable new products, or execute them to market? Then contact us today at ideateandexecute.com and get started. Why listen to the past when you can listen to the future? Welcome to the Think Future podcast, broadcasting from deep in the heart of Silicon Valley, California. We focus on innovation, startups, and the future, not necessarily those and not necessarily in that order. Here's your host. Tell me about yourself and your company and what and tell me like what innovation means to you particularly. What like what what do you feel is your definition of innovation? Absolutely. Um, uh, my name is Tetsuya Nakagawa, and uh, my current venture is Castagra. We started 10 years ago, which uh, focuses on innovations within the building materials and, and coding world. And uh, I'll tell you more about uh, how we launched, but it was uh, originally through a uh, reality show, which we launched the company, which cool. is kind of different. But, uh, <laughs> Oh, I'd love to hear um, that story. (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll give it to you. Absolutely. I think uh, innovation to me is, um, or the innovation that I'm interested in, of course, is the commercial uh, side of it. I think uh, when it has uh, a commercial side to it, I think uh, the innovation is much more sustainable and and definitely has a, a bigger impact in the in the world. But I think innovation can can take uh, many different forms. I think there's a tendency to focus on technical innovation, but it mm-hmm. can happen uh, from a management uh, level or or um, otherwise. Oh yeah, I mean, this a, a lot of people when they think innovation, they just think sort of futuristic technology and AI and VR and all these little acronyms that are already out there. That's where they think in innovation is, but it, most of the time it's not actually that at all. I mean, that's <clears throat> the technology is is enabling it, but it's really a combination of 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 social cultural uh, uh, you know and there are all these different aspects to it so so yeah absolutely I, c- I completely agree when you're talking about commercial innovation that's interesting because a lot of you know when you think about innovation it, it could be all sorts of things that have no no commercial value whatsoever like there's plenty of great <laughs> ideas that are out there but they're just not businesses right yeah. so I think we have you know there's a lot of that sorting that needs to go on because you know I've been in many companies where we have these great innovation programs and they unearth all these great ideas and you know when when we say to the people I'm sorry we're not going to work on your idea they're like but it was a great idea it's like yeah but it's got no it's got no business value <laughs> I mean it's fantastic <laughs> but no one will pay for this right <laughs> so, uh, there should be sort of a, a way to uh, uh, it, uh, getting them out of the uh, the dungeons of these big companies so that yeah. at least it can be pursued and uh, yeah. uh, to the benefit of uh, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I see the the whole problem is is that you know when if you haven't launched it as a product yet, then it's all conjecture. I don't know mm-hmm. if anyone is going to buy this thing. And a lot of times yeah. we make these we create we create these ideas. So there's startup founders out there who they have a great idea or there's some problem that they have that they want to solve, 
So they try to solve the problem for themselves and then say, wait, there's probably lots of other people out there who have the same (laughs) issue. So I'll throw it out there and see what happens. And until you throw it out there and see what happens, then there's no way to know if they're going to be successful or not. No, like no matter what you do, even if you do some design thinking and bring your customers in and say, uh, you know, hey, what do you guys think? You know, they might say (laughs) it's fantastic. But then when it gets out into the real world, you know, it might not go anywhere. So. I mean, you probably yeah, I mean, uh, experienced the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a whole thing, right? I mean, for bringing people in, you can, uh, you know, get them to sort of uh, look at incremental improvements, but, uh, you know, trying to get them to understand uh, something that uh, they don't know exists or the possibilities, uh, trying to drive that out of uh, a customer base is uh, next to impossible, right? You kind of have to, to know more than they do, right, to be able yeah. to have that kind of value. Yeah. Well, that's what Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs always said that, right? He said, you know, the customers don't really know what they want, so we have to tell them. <laughs> but that's not necessarily so, right? <laughs> well, I mean, he did have a lot of uh, influence. I mean, there is something just to be said about having, you know, 50 or 100,000 raving fans that just follow everything and, yeah. and go out uh, and, and uh, do your uh, sort of bidding. So I think... Uh, that uh, has a huge impact on uh, some of the things he did. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it is kind of like a cult, you know, sort of like the, whenever whenever something new comes out, it's like, shut up and take my money. That's basically what everybody says. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it, it, it is fun, though. I mean, but uh, innovation and entrepreneurship, you know, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, everyone talks about, uh, you know, sailing often and, and trying different things, but I mean, it's a, it's a big uh, social uh, you know experience, right? I mean, it's, it's it favors the person that can take the the most amount of public uh, embarrassment uh, yeah. uh, in in stride, right? <laughs> yeah, and no, I think it it is a lot to do with that. It's like if you can't if you can handle the public embarrassment, then you're probably pretty good. In fact, a lot of the best a lot of the most successful entrepreneurs out there are the ones who failed miserably a number of times already. And they've built up their cred to the point where, you know, people are following them and whatever they're doing next might end up being successful. So I think just getting out there and being being visible is really key to all of this stuff. But tell me a little bit about bit more about Castagra. And is that am I pronouncing it right? Absolutely. Okay. so yeah, it was based on a uh, technology that my business partner uh, developed Peter Rosen and mm-hmm. um, I've known him for about uh, 20 years and nice. he's one of those uh, I, I don't know I mean he's to me he's he's a modern day Edison because he's oh, uh, very invented cool. a few things uh, yeah he's invented a few things that are quite uh, unique um, he uh, well, he invented the the technology that uh, that he sold to Bill Gates which was the Windows Media Player technology oh no way um, that's so cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it, yeah, sometimes it's hard to get these things that he's done in the past out of him because he's just one of those people that, no, that was just the past. I forgot about it already. And then yeah, I'm just yeah. moving on to the next cool thing. Nice. Um, the, the I love those serial inventors. They're great. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was also involved in the yearly uh, 3D uh, printing uh, technology development side. Nice. Um, and then the last thing he inv- uh, invented was the a technology that uh, in uh, in a way inspired uh, MRI technology. It's used Ooh. for completely different uh, 
technology. But uh, one of the other products he developed on the building material side was uh, a molding that was uh, a baseboard that, mm. that used to solve a problem to go around curved walls in, mm-hmm. in the bottom of these buildings. Um, so that they were very popular uh, back in the 80s. And as with many innovations, there's unintended uh, products that sometimes come out of innovation, and right. that was the coating side of the uh, the application, the coating surfaces, protecting floors, roofs. And he did some work um, 30 years ago when applying certain things. There's a certain amount of commercialization done, but uh, he went off and he commercialized the building material side and sold the uh, product out to uh, you know Fortune 500 companies and. And uh, his non-competes kind of ran out about 10 years ago. And I said to him, because I was working on, with him on lots of different uh, projects, and I said, mm-hmm. well, why don't we re-earth this project and kind of relaunch it into the marketplace? And that's how it sort of um, the first uh, steps of this company uh, started. Oh, cool. So so had it been what, – what was – so what was happening prior to you unearthing it? I mean, where – it was just sort of sitting there doing nothing like there was no demand or you did, like what it, it, yeah it, it wasn't doing much i mean there's some people that were pursuing it um uh, on a, a small level uh but um literally because he he was sort of had his hands tied to to it further and uh he wasn't actually that uh interested and i kind of brought his interest back back into it. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, we were doing pr- various other product launches and uh, sort of projects relating to product development, front-end innovation, right. uh, stuff. So we were in the area, um, but um, I just thought, you know what, this is kind of a waste. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's extremely sustainable. Right. Um, we have this great uh, field history, which most products don't have in the space. And uh, let's uh, give it a try. And one of the uh, sort of acts, sort of I guess the very fortunate things at the time is there was a reality show competition. Uh, mm-hmm. It was called Dragon's Den, which is oh, Dragon's exactly Den, I know them. <laughs> yes, like Shark Tank. So Kevin O'Leary and Robert Herjavec was yeah. on at the time, and, yeah. and this was the uh, the 14th season, I guess, or something like that. And the it was the only time they did a competition. They they got a sponsor to throw up a hundred grand, no strings attached, Whoa. to find the best sustainable innovation in Canada. Nice. And uh, yeah, out of 4,000 companies or applications, uh, we came in first. Oh. And that's how the company was launched. Fantastic. That's great. So you didn't get you didn't get ripped by uh, Mr. Wonderful. Oh, yeah, he's not on, he, he's he's not on the he's not on Dragon's Den, right? He's only on the US version. <laughs> well, he was at the time. Yeah, so you know, oh, he was? Peter did do the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Robert Hutchinson and Kevin O'Leary. And I actually met him too because I was there for another helping another uh, client or, or two with the pitch and I've met those guys directly and Nice. I mean, in person they're Super nice guys, but uh, oh yeah, on yeah, TV, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's part of the it's part of the whole, you know, uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like it's like what you expect VCs to be like, right? You expect them to be yeah. jerks, right? You expect them to like tear you down and stuff like that. But plus, like you said, it's basically it's really good TV. It's like watching, um, um, you know, Star Search or whatever, you know, all these all these shows where you've got really 
nasty judges. That's part of the enjoyment, right? <laughs> part of the fun. So that is very Absolutely. cool. That is very cool. So is it true that showing up, uh, being on Dragon's Den or, or um, Shark Tank or whatever, sort of whether you win or lose, you get like like promoted to crazy town. So it's like whether you're whether you're actually really good at it or not, you or you fail, you're like a second or third or fourth in that contest. They still get enough visibility to do well, right? Because I think that's Absolutely. I think that's what I feel happens from the that show. Absolutely, we got you know thousands of emails. They they aired it six times. I think it was about one point six or one point seven million uh, views per wow. per run or something, and. Uh, Absolutely, you know, all sorts of small companies to even very, very large uh, corporations uh, uh, contact, contacted us for uh, various uh, various reasons. Wow. So tell me a little bit about the technology, because you want to reveal any secrets. But your so what is this? What does it actually do? Because when I think when I think building materials and in three, and I think three D printing and stuff like that. But tell me what what is what does it actually do? Like. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the core technology that we originally started with and we sort of branched out from there is a uh, coating for, you know, flooring. It could be used for roofing, uh, re-roofing roofs. Um, think of uh, a garage floor mm-hmm. um, where you walk in, there's there's exposed concrete, but if you were put, putting a protective layer on the concrete so it wouldn't crack and it would last longer, there would be... A traditionally sort of an epoxy coating, you know, very yeah. stinky VOC, um, epoxies are very brittle as well. So there's a lot of disadvantages there. And, and, and come our product, the Ecuador product would, you know, be VOC free, BPA free. Uh, wow. it had a flexibility to it. Um, it had a very extremely high adhesion values and also the ability to maintain because the coating would rebond to itself. Mm. Um, so it actually has uh, many different um, advantages. Advantages um, to a point where sometimes when you go to contractors that have done it a certain way, when you try to tell them all the things that it does, you uh, they don't believe you. So you yes. almost have to kind of <laughs> sort of Simple, simplify your pitch to a point so they believe you. Think, you know, they're calling you a liar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or you have to give it to them and say, "Here, you try it." You know, and only they, only then they will believe its properties, right? Because that's that's what happens with a lot of innovation. It's kind of like when you, you introduce something new to the marketplace. A lot of people are like, oh, no, no, we've always done it this way. Or, you know, I've worked with this and I know it works. And, you know, that sounds too good to be true. So I can't possibly, it can't possibly work, right? So Yeah. Is that- and you know what? Those, yeah, those companies that are successful, I mean, that's that's why they're successful, right? Because they, they turn the blinders on and, uh, you know, become really, really good at doing the same thing over and over. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, it's a problem when uh, the technology changes. Yeah. So I'm really curious. So you said that he invented this a while back and then it sat around for yeah. a while. So do yeah. you remember, like, so it was just, it was, did he patent it? Did he own the patent on it? Yeah, there was an initial patent on it. We developed new patents around it and uh, we've since uh, created uh, some new products uh, collaborating with uh, other companies. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's sort of uh, developed. It would become uh, a bit more of a technology company and, but we, we also, uh, do is uh, take this existing Ecuador technology and apply it to different verticals. Right. And we, you know, we we started flooring, roofing. We've done marine. 
But we realize what we're strong at and what we're weak at. We're really strong at or get really excited about getting products uh, developed, crossing the adoption uh, so, uh, sort of uh, sort of gap, and uh, then sort of when it becomes day-to-day, uh, partnering with a company that really loves day-to-day execution. Uh, we right. don't necessarily love that aspect of it, and I think other companies can do it better, yeah. but to, uh, to understand that uh, about us was sort of big steps. Right. And then you just find other uses for the material, or do you actually invent new materials too? We do, we do both. We, we okay. try to find other uses for the material because it's been um, tested in different things. We have ongoing tests going on and all, absolutely always looking for other uh, opportunities to take our expertise and uh, expand it. I think that, you know, there's three aspects of our company. One is sort of the um, product OEM kind of relationship or the partner level. Uh, some of the other partnerships are related to access that we have to, to partners. And the last one you talked about, which is the capability-related uh, partnerships where we co-develop new technologies with, uh, especially so larger companies that are a little bit more risk-averse or they're kind of sort of stuck at looking at it a certain way. We, we can definitely bring uh, sort of a fresh pair of eyes, at least from a technical standpoint, and, mm. and see if there's any way that uh, we can work together. So in some ways, you're a bit of an outsourced innovation lab for some of these customers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, more and more. I think uh, a, a lot of our business still is you know, moving the buckets out the door. But I think, uh, you know, every day we're becoming more of an innovation lab uh, uh, for sure. Yeah. Have you have you read the book Loon Shots? By, uh, uh, I, I, for, I forget who's... Uh, but he talked about how businesses have to have both uh, like a franchise piece and an innovation piece. To, to and balance them off, like split them and balance them off each other because the franchise piece is like, okay, here's a product that we know sells and we know is profitable and we want to keep making that go out the door, which is great. But then we also need the side of the business that looks at new opportunities and expanding on what you're doing and, and, and other things. And those have to, I mean, they work to get, like, they're not part of the same business. They're sort of, you have to separate them, but they're but they kind of work together to pass things back and forth between them. So it sounds like you're you're you've got that same kind of thing going on where you've got, um, you know, the money making stuff, but then you're also expanding into other areas. Absolutely, it's, it's definitely a fine balance, right? Because the, mm-hmm. the 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 structure and the uh, culture that is required to excel on both. Uh, have some differences even within the same company, right? To, right? to have that balance and to have people that overlap each area so keep the company cohesive, uh, but independent enough so they don't affect each other, right? That's the right. Uh, that's the ongoing challenge. Right. So you you implemented that within your organization? Absolutely. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. So 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 you you've what have you done? So how, I don't know how big your company is, but do you actually go into these uh, organizations and help them ideate as well, or is it more is is like how do you, how do you work with these organizations on the innovation side? Um, I mean, we you know if you're talking about you know doing workshops and and doing facilitations, it's more of a uh, we kind of approach that side more from a technical standpoint, looking at what they're where issues are and, and seeing uh, what we can do. So it's a it's a less than 
formal process. Let's just say I'm, I, my task is to smuggle uh, Peter into as many of these uh, innovation labs as uh, possible and uh, poke around and, and uh, see if there's a collaboration opportunity. So that's, that's my goal. Right, right. Very cool. Very cool. So what's, what's, where are you going next? I mean, are you guys coming up with some brand new stuff that uh, is going to be hitting the market soon or, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Like one of the, the products that we, we had a, a part in helping, which is uh, developed by a company called uh, IOBAC, is uh, a magnetic flooring technology. Mm-hmm. So imagine a, a flooring system, a resin system that has some uh, mag- magnetic aspects to it and it has these uh, boards that go down and you can sort of peel back and ma- maintain the floor very easily. I mean, a picture um, Whole Foods or these other supermarkets where in the past what happens is when there's a maintenance concern because these floors get damaged on a regular basis, they have yeah. to shut down sections of the uh, of the store and, um, and it's very costly. But now with these magnetic floors, you'd be able to remove a tile and put down another tile very, very quickly. Oh, wow. Um, on another, yeah. That's, so that's awesome. That's kind of a new... <laughs> Yeah, and another benefit is that they were able to sort of logo these uh, these uh, floors so that you know brands can put their logos on it and easily remove these tiles so they can get the their vendors to pay for their flooring. Oh, that is fantastic! I love it. <laughs> so would you, you you so you'd have to sort of pre-treat the floor with some kind of magnetic. Uh, yes. surface and then the tiles would sit on top of that and that's what keeps them yeah keeps something them like that it, you yeah. know basically it has it has sort of a uh, the coating the coating has some of those uh, properties and so is the uh, the things that go on top of that so um, it just um, they just sort of really streamlined that process so they were able to get uh, very big names and uh, uh, and partnering with some very large companies so we're hoping that you know it continues to to go, but that's just one of the the areas that we're helping out. Oh, that's very cool. I want that for my house. (laughs) (laughs) Don't drop your credit card, I guess. (laughs) I want I want that for my house. I want like this the have you got so this is all for um mostly commercial, right? Have you done anything in the residential space at all? Because I think there's a space Uh, that really needs innovation. Yeah. I mean I mean for Residential, I mean, we've, we've dabbled in it. It's a little bit different, um, you know, because, uh, the way that certain things work. So we, we haven't done as much. We've done mostly industrial to this mm-hmm. point. I think one of the uh, weaknesses of our product is because it is, uh, so sustainable that it doesn't have kind of the custom color variations and the finishes that are required to be super effective in residential. So that's right. a trade-off, right? Right. Uh, because anything that's just shiny, like look at a car, it's highly toxic, right? So um, <laughs> that's not one of the things that we like to uh, get into too much. So. Well, yeah, but if you're if you're into sustainability, I mean, I, I, there's I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who, you know, buy Priuses because they want to save the environment. So it's like I'm gonna go with this duller color on my floors because I know it's a sustainable product as opposed to something else. So that's it's entirely possible. I mean. Absolutely. Who knows? Who knows? That's very cool. So you're actually out of out of BC, right? That's where you're located. Yeah, yeah cool. Absolutely, I'm out of BC, but everyone sort of sp- uh, sort of fanned uh, out over the states uh, primarily. So you're a you're a virtual corporation, is that right? You don't have any offices. Everybody works from home. 
everyone sort of, yeah, we're kind of spread out. We have sort of um, facilities and we have small offices, but absolutely everyone sort of fanned out. And, you know, it's, there's a there's a great advantage, but also, you know, the disadvantage is we have to work twice as hard on our communication and our, right. and our relationship building, right? But right. I think, you know, that's the way a lot of companies are going. Everyone sort of has that sort of flexibility, right? And, uh, you know, we've all, most of us have known each other very a very long time, uh, uh, our, our core team. So I think, uh, you know, that also helps as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, if I were to start a new company today, it would totally be completely virtual. Like I'm seeing all these people with all these giant office spaces and then you see all these people commuting on the road and you go, why do we still need, especially in places like Silicon <laughs> Valley where, you know, almost all of your work is, is online, right? You spend yeah. 90, you know, a hundred percent of your day, you know, online, talking to people online, you know, communicating with people online. It's like, do we really need to be in the same room? And do we really need to maintain these facilities? And do we really need to have all this commuting going on? If you think about sustainability, imagine all the, you know, greenhouse gases you're creating with cars going back and forth and sitting in traffic. So, you know, everything should be, if you ask me, like, just virtualize everything. (laughs) And this is one of the, yeah, go ahead. It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because when you think about, I mean, I remember having a conversation with somebody at a a party about about um, public transit, right? And they were yeah. saying, oh, we need public transit because it will, you know, improve help the environment. I'm like, okay, if you really want to help the environment, what you need to do is eliminate the cause of, you know, what's like the whole background cause. It's like they don't go to the they go to the innovation. They go as far as okay, here's a symptom that we need to solve. But mm-hmm. the problem is that people have to commute, right? People have to commute. So the, how do you eliminate the commute as opposed to trying to figure out a more effective way of commuting? So it's almost like, can you think about transformation, right? I mean, you think about transformation, people think when they think about digital transformation, they think about um, sort of like a lower level transformation. It's like, how can we take this process and make it more effective as opposed to yep. how can we replace this whole thing? and make it more aligned with what the customer is trying to do, right? Mm. I mean, and I think that's what ends up happening. People fall into this trap of, okay, we have all this stuff already built, so let's see how we can make it better instead of going to the customer and saying, hey, customer, what do you really want? What What is the root of what you're looking for, right? And not yeah. listen, like listening to them, but then at the same time not doing what they – like if they say, well, this is exactly what I want, and you're like, wait a minute. Is this really what you want? Like read under the, <laughs> like read under the like under the lines. Going, oh, maybe you really want this. So you're saying I want a better commute, but the reality is, is that you just want to stay home because you know X Y Z, right? So it's kind of yeah. like that. We have to think sort of beyond that that sort of thing. So you were you sure. were mentioning when we, ta- but we were talking earlier. You were saying something about um, you know bringing your customers into the conversation. How do you do that? Do you guys do a lot of design thinking sessions and? Yeah, that- I mean, we don't do too many sessions, but I think the philosophy, I think, is, um, you know, the world is changing, and, and I think there's more acceptance to the fact that uh, business is, is more personal, and the, the companies have to develop better relationships with their customers or their partners to to fully, really understand what they're looking for. And I think that that's difficult for some com- uh, companies, right? Because if you look at all the marketing and the communication and all the stuff that goes out, it's, it's very sterile yeah. and not very personal. And if you don't develop a very strong 
open, honest relationship with your partner where you truly care about them, trying to understand their situation, and uh, they, they feel that, then you're not going to get that feedback you're looking for. They're always going to be guarded or just say what you think they want you to say, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just kind of a, a big thing, I think. No, it's interesting. You, sh- you should say personal as opposed to professional. It's kind of like opposed to what? Opposed to professional, right? Because you mm-hmm. see all these, you know, you've probably sat in many of these meetings where people are using all these big words and their acronyms and they're trying to obfuscate things so their things are, are less understandable when people don't want that. People want the, yeah. want the personality. They want the authenticity. They want some human being who's not speaking in riddles talking to them so that they can they can understand them right i mean yeah so so. a company that talks about their ups and downs without uh, legal filtering it out you know yeah exactly Um, they want a real conversation (laughs) (laughs) exactly and a lot of these companies and it's almost like well you think about it is that some of the smaller companies can do that because they have the flexibility to be able to do that and then once you get to a certain size then you know there's regulation and and all sorts of other things that are kind of weighing them down and once they become a public company that's even there's even more you know things that weigh them down they they have to be really circumspect about what they say and at the same time so that you you kind of get to that point where you're like okay can't take risks anymore right we can't take (laughs) we can't take these risks anymore because it would be horrible right uh so that's why they need companies like yours or you know smaller firms to to work Mm -hmm. with and say okay let these guys take all the risks and we'll take the benefit we'll take the benefit of the risk so so i think that's it's essential that you have that sort of like almost like a symbiotic relationship where you know the one company said okay you know we're stuck in this space and we can't really innovate but if we work with these guys or spin something out then we'd be able to you know kind of work with them to do something new and different absolutely i mean it's a big struggle with the the big companies right the the companies that are looked at on a quarterly basis that needs to show 10%. And as the companies get bigger, you know, what that 10% re- represents becomes so big that they can't ideate, right? You know, they just, they just need a big win, right? This is where they start buying companies and, and, uh, you know, it's just kind of a, it's a hard thing for them to really sort of take chances, right? Uh, from the yeah. outside. But I guess, uh, you know, as a smaller firm, I guess, you know, you, you have to do whatever you can to lessen the risk, right? You know, talk to their customer's customer, get yep. them excited, you know, whatever you can do to, to uh, you know, make it easier for them to, to do the right thing. Right. Exactly right. So how, so how do you guys innovate? I mean, do you just sort of sit in a room and think up new ideas or like... I'm curious, like how your partner was talking, you're talking about how he came up with these ideas like way back when is he, does he just sit in a room and like come up with stuff or, (laughs) I mean, some of the most effective stuff is actually like that. Right. And then other times it's in a, it's in a group session where you have everybody building on everybody else's ideas. But I'm curious to know, like how did he just come up with it? Like, well, I I think uh, from what I've seen or from, from my process as well, I think it's, it's all about, you know, finding ways to pull yourself out of the day-to-day, right? If you get mm. caught up in the day-to-day too much, then you're you're just kind of mindlessly going from task to task. So for, for me, uh, it's just time away, pen and paper, um, you know, and then trying to find out uh, what is the state you need to put in, uh, sorry, what, what state you need to put yourself in, your idea mm. sort of 
performance state where the, the best ideas come in. One of the things that sort of um, stories I found that was kind of neat was uh, Charles Darwin because mm. he's a big idea guy. Mm-hmm. And I found out that uh, he built a walking path in his uh, sort of home just outside of the city. Mm-hmm. And he would walk in the morning and then walk just before dinner time every single day for uh, almost 40 years. Wow. And I just found that when I'm sort of taking a walk or sort of doing light cardio activity, I think my brain is working the best. Yeah, and I thought, yeah. well, I see Charles Darwin doing it. I got to make this a, a bit more of a consistent <laughs> habit. If it's good enough for him, yeah. so I, I kind of, I kind of forced myself to do that. You know, just uh, sort of um, do exercise uh, like that every day, and that sort of brings me to a, a state where I'm much more likely to to have my brain working in a way that sort of is, um, you know, sort of optimized for that. And I think everyone has that state, you know, whether it's in the shower, driving a car, or doing something, right? Yeah. Eating a chocolate bar, I don't know, but it's, there's <laughs> got to be something that everyone's got that uh, that gives them a better chance of putting them in that state. And uh, I think I think that's the key. And and we talk about it every week. And we have a meeting where we sort of flush out all the little niggly things that came out during the week. So we do have right. a weekly meeting on that. Yeah. No, I like that. I, I think you're absolutely right about that because I think that's the thing about human brains is that we have such a huge capacity to ideate and come up with things. And a lot of times, if the problem's right in front of us and we're constantly thinking about it in our forebrain, it, it doesn't mm-hmm. get solved, right? But if we mm-hmm. sort of push it to the back of our minds and go off and do something else and then maybe yeah. even not think about it or just think about getting on the treadmill or just think about walking or think about whatever. And then our brain in the back continues to work on the problem. Right. Yeah. And, but we don't, we don't really know. We're not actually working on it. Our brain is working on it for us. (laughs) And then all of a sudden you're doing something that has nothing to do with anything that you thought about. And then all of a sudden, boom, the answer just pops into your head and you're like, Wow. And sometimes it has to do with external stimuli. So when you talk about the walks, I'm totally into something like that. But I think you also need to kind of expand it beyond like great. It was great that Dorman could see something new every time he walked around his his property. But if you go actually go to other places and and sort of be like exist in other places or take a different route or whatever, you might see or smell or hear or something that will trigger a whole new juxtaposition of things for Mm. you and go, oh, yeah, this means that or that means this. And, you know, some of the coolest inventions that I've, you know, I've heard about are things like that where you just say, I've, I've, I've put myself into a different experience and then this other thing happened or my brain connected something with something without me knowing it mm-hmm. and then boom the idea popped into my head so i think a lot of that has to do with you're right i mean you need that that sort of time to percolate and yeah. per, percol- you have to percolate percolate it in the background and do something else in the foreground and sometimes that doing something else you will trigger what else you're doing so i think that you're, you're absolutely right that it's in everybody's Everybody has the capability to do this. Everybody has the capability to come up with ideas. It's just letting them have the time and the and the the breath to to actually to actually you know sit down and do it. Because a lot of us are just like focused heads down day to day on you know the thing that's in front of us, and then that doesn't give us that doesn't give us the opportunity to sort of step back and do that kind of that kind of innovation. So we you know everyone needs to kind of. Um, 
try and put that into their day to day, like put some some time to innovate in their days, and then and then maybe they'll come up with things that'll make their lives easier. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> no, it makes sense. Possible. You touched on a really cool point though, which is exposing yourself to uh, new experiences. Because the uh, the story I think of uh, is uh, David Stern, the former commissioner of the NBA. Mm-hmm. I read an article once saying that he used to go to the magazine rack and start reading uh, sort of random magazines from yep. all sorts of different topics, just getting his brain thinking in all sorts of different ways. And I've always just sort of uh, remember that and stuck with me. So I always feel like whenever I feel get uh, get stuck in a routine, to sort of break that routine doing something random like that, uh, yeah. it really helps uh, get your brain going. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big proponent of doing random stuff like that. <laughs> and people are like, what are you doing that? Why are you, why are you reading that book? Why are you looking at that? Well, I was like, you know, I, I, you know, ideas could come from anywhere. And and it, you apply something because it's really kind of, I, I kind of like to, you know, consume a, ver- a huge variety of different kinds of media and different things. And, you know, one day I'm, I'm getting deep into, you know, rust software development and other days it's wow. like, uh, you know, politics or whatever. But there's so many different things out there and all of it contributes into, you know, something that could co- create, create an innovation. So it, I think it's really cool. Yeah, and with with innovation, yeah, you're exploring. But I, I especially like the uh, the initial stages of it when you're trying to really figure out, you know, not not in a a large way, but in a really small and intimate way. You know, I think uh, Airbnb talks about how they started, and they're talking about handcrafting that uh, first couple of phases. I think they went and slept at, you know, their clients' houses, right? Yeah. And, and to really understand them and then trying to, to scale that uh, experience. They're first trying to make 10 people happy, right? Yeah. And then yeah. really understanding that to a great extent. I think with the technology that we have, we get so obsessed with trying to scale so quickly. We yeah. don't fully understand what makes our clients happy. And I think taking a step back to just look at, okay, how do we make one person happy? Now let's make five people happy and taking those steps, I think would go a long way and save a lot of money. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's what kind of um, reminded me of, I forget who it was, but somebody was doing this. What they did is instead of sort of building the piece of software that would, it was some kind of matching algorithm for something. And Mm -hmm. the idea was great. And and instead of sort of building this huge piece of software and launching an app that did all this stuff, he just created a web page on Google and he created a Google uh, Sheets form and he started collecting requests for whatever and then just doing everything manually. Like he would do the matching mm-hmm. manually on the back end just to see if there was a demand for it and how people responded to it. And then eventually kind of migrated that, like once there's, once he saw that there was a demand and there was the, like you said, made, you know, 10 people happy, then he, you know, used that as a concept to expand the business and turn it into something real. So I think not enough people, and like, I think you're exactly right, that people try for the big scale right away. Because they figure, oh, this is the thing that's going to send me over the top or it's going to help all these people, whatever, instead of just experimenting on a very small scale to see if it would work. 
right? And once you experiment on a really small scale, like for example, something like HomeJoy, right? I mean, I think HomeJoy was that maid service where you'd say, oh, I'm looking for mm-hmm. a housekeeper. And then a housekeeper would come in and it would be like a matching service. Um, if they had just sort of set that up on Google Sheets <laughs> and said, mm-hmm. hey, you know, send me some, and then did the manual matching on the back end, and then people thought it was a, a good a good value, then he could have built it into something. But but do that initial making those small that small number of people happy and nail down the model at that point, and then you can scale after that. Because there's so many people who are fans of this blitz scaling thing, which is you know scale as quickly as you can, and and <laughs> and, 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 and you know a lot. I think we've already bl- sort of blown past the the giant market size. And we're yeah. into these like tiny little niche markets. And if you can serve a tiny little niche market really, really well, then you can be really super successful, right? So yeah, I think absolutely. you're absolutely right on that. Yeah, no, absolutely. The the, the tiny niche market serving them well, I think that that was a kind of a learning we had. At. We, you know, getting these large uh, uh, sort of uh, interest from clients, but I think you know being able to understand, like you know. The, you get the early adopters, they pick it up, and then they, they see the advantage, they get so excited, right? And then they use it, and then the euphoria of the new product starts to wear off. The advantages are still there, but the euphoria wears off, and then the big companies start coming in with their great customer service, and then their sort of, you know, support, and, and their trips to Ireland, and then you, you get sort of eroded back. So, yeah. you know, being sort of very narrow and understanding not only how to break through, but how to stay there yeah. uh, as a smaller company is, is a critical learning piece, especially if there's a lot of channel resistance and yeah. that ways that uh, the competitors can uh, fight you back. I mean, most business plans uh, are, uh, you know, things that, uh, you know, uh, are definitely not addressed in a business plan is how the comp- competition is going to react. They're not going to let you just walk in and, and take this over, right? Even if they have an yeah. inferior technology, they're not going to put their hand up and say, well, we give up. Yeah. They're going to fight yeah. back. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly right. And, then, and you know, the business world is rife with plenty of, of examples of inferior technology winning when mm-hmm. you know you've got a lot of marketing behind it, right? I mean, you can you can mar- <laughs> you can market the hell out of something, even if it's crap, and people will buy that instead of the the good stuff. I remember really way way back, we were um, a long long time ago. I was doing LAN um, sort of wide area networking stuff, and we were looking yeah. at routers, right? So to connect routers between two office locations, and at the time yeah. there was a company called WellPoint, and there was Cisco. And mm-hmm. if you looked at the specs, um, well, so Wellfleet, sorry, Wellfleet. If you looked at the specs of well, the Wellfleet routers, they were amazing. Engineering marvels. These things were great. I mean, they were able to push more bits over more uh, pipes than anything out there. They were, they were great. But then there was Cisco, which was not as good, but it had a ton of marketing behind it saying, these were great. <laughs> And I remember a CIO I was talking to once. He said, "Yeah, I want the Cisco's because they have all the lights on them and they look really good when you when you're taking the executives around and and they see all these lights flashing and they go, yeah, yeah, that's what I want, right? And so I'm like, no, you know, that's that's not what we want. But then he ended up we ended up going with the Wellfleets, and then the company was bought by somebody else, and then they pulled out all the Wellfleets and put in Cisco's. And which company is still around today? Cisco, right? So Cisco was able to, with their inferior technology uh, at the time, I mean, I don't know what it's like now, 
at the time, you know, they were able to outmarket everybody else and yeah. and uh, ended up, you know, being the leader there. So, yeah, you're right. Exactly. So, you know, those things those things have happened and they happen a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of the best idea, right? I, you know, I'm yeah. the advocate. You know, I, if there's an application that we have a, a a product in that we're not the best, I'd rather suggest the the best option because. You know, I don't have the stomach to sort of suggest an inferior solution. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I definitely uh, love it when I see the uh, the best product win, and it, it's agonizing for me when when the uh, inferior product uh, <laughs> wins. Yeah, I know. I I feel exactly the same way. But you know, it's it's and it's it's also. I mean, it just goes to show you that you know so much. A lot of people think that when you're when you're running a startup, you know, you spend 90% of it in building the actual thing, right? But the reality is, you spend 10% of it building the actual thing. You spend 90% of it promoting the actual thing, because <laughs> because I mean, it's different from the early days of the internet when you know you just threw a website on online, and because there were so few of them, you actually got you know some traction because people would say, oh, oh, look, Amazon, that's new. I've never seen that before. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But now it's kind of like. You know, you throw up an e-commerce site and you're in a sea of a million other e-commerce sites and you have to do something to uh, to differentiate, differentiate yourself. So I think markets have complete a lot of this has changed now because it's almost like every every market is super noisy with so much competition that, you know, you're right. I mean, basically moving to that smaller niche is really the only way to be successful. But yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned uh, budgets there. You said that 10% uh, making it and 90% promoting it. Well, that's a good case. Uh, you know, how many times have you seen a company spend 90% on making it and 10% on promoting it, right? That's, yeah. That's extremely yeah. common. Yeah, and then they go, well, why, are, why doesn't anybody buy our stuff? It's amazing. <laughs> well, yeah, but nobody knows it's amazing, so... <laughs> you know, the, the, the funny thing, I mean, we wrote a whole book on called Inventoritis, Inventor Syndrome, right? But, yeah. but one of the uh, cool little tests that I, uh, that I, I got from the uh, direct marketing world, and they call it the 2 a.m. test, okay? So mm-hmm. you have an idea and just visualize yourself going to a customer's house, right? And break it into their house. And then you just go into their bedroom and you grab your customer and you say, wake up, wake up. And then, Blah, you tell them your idea. Okay, yeah, two things yeah. are going to happen. Your idea is so game-changing that they're going to get up and they're going to celebrate with you. Right. Or they're going to go back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, which one is it going to be? And for most cases, uh, you know, you're the only one that excited about it and your idea is not as good as you thought it was. I love that. That is great. So you, you have... so. This has been fantastic. Thanks so much for the conversation. This is great. So tell us a little bit about tell me about this book. How can we how can we pick it up? Is it available on Amazon? Uh yeah, Overcoming Inventoritis. Uh, uh it's something uh we had lots of fun with. Um we basically we knew that, you know, you can't get too t- attached to your ideas. And uh we gave some examples. We we dug into uh, Edison's uh, examples of commercial success in Tesla's and contrasted um, you know, his style with uh, Tesla styles, and we gave some suggestions on how to, um, you know, sort of avoid being um, sort of uh, to a point where you're too in love with your ideas. <laughs> <laughs> how I love fun it. Writing. I love it. I love it. Okay, well, I'll put a link to that. And if, if somebody else wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way? 
Um, just, um, I guess, uh, LinkedIn or any of the social medias. I, I'm pretty open. I leave the, uh, the, the direct mark, uh, sort of direct messaging on, you know, if you have something valuable, uh, or you think, uh, we could, uh, sort of work on something together, feel free to send me a message. I'm pretty open. Uh, as long as it's not just a, a buy this product. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, what, 90% of LinkedIn first messages? Please buy this. Oh, we, 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 we determined that you need this. I'm like, no, you haven't. <laughs> Develop a relationship. I mean, I think some people yeah. are really good. Like, they're great in person, and all of a sudden they go online, they turn into spammers. I, yeah. And if exactly. they just acted the same way in front, uh, in a face to face situation, they'd be fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, thank you so much. This was great. Thank you, Chris. Thanks.